are tuned into CFCR 90.5 FM. It's time for the nerdy news. You're listening to Punch Radio, and it's Christmas Eve. So uh, we wish everybody happy holidays out there. And uh, we got a few things to talk about today. Dave and I are going to talk about Marble Maniacs, and we will also give you a review of the new Wes Anderson movie, The French Dispatch. Craig and Hank will weigh in, and at the end of our show, Brennan's going to talk about some great comics uh, that you should definitely put on your reading list. So very exciting because we haven't had much for marbles lately. It's been a real dry spell. Yellow's Marble Runs has been kind of out of business for like two to four months while he's taken his show on tour, setting up marble uh, runs and displays for live audiences. Yeah. And he finally got to meet Greg Woods face-to-face, the commentator who uh, is from the United States that does all the commentary so brilliantly. Uh, Yeah, they did some con-type events together, and you could meet them. That would have been amazing. Yeah, so if you've never seen this YouTube channel before, it's um, a a guy who's been pitting marbles against each other in athletic competition on YouTube, and just every year his production gets a little more slick, his equipment gets a little bit better. His graphics and statistics get more and more involved. Uh, and he's he's developed quite a following. So this is a great thing to watch with your family because it is like very family friendly and you can get super competitive. You can bet on the marbles. You can pick a team. And so it's a really fun thing to, to do um, if you're looking for things to watch or do with your family when you're all kind of just like sitting around and had too much turkey it's like throw on youtube and throw on some of the events for uh yelly he's got a brand new thing so this is called marble maniacs and it's extreme events so the first event just came up this week it's called extreme diving and they have built this giant tower that the teams like drop down into a tank and then there's a target and the closer you are to a bullseye, the more points you get. Now, there are only three teams competing in this that we know. The other five teams are new. Yeah, so you might not be able to cheer for your favorite team. You might have to pick a new favorite if you have, if you have like an old marble team that you're, that you're loyal to. I don't want to judge Marble Maniacs and the new direction on just the first event. Uh, it was certainly an impressive apparatus to look at. Just how high the tower was, was actually pretty stunning. Hard to film though, the marbles dropping from that incredibly high tower and, and down. So I'm, I'm hoping, you know, there, there'll be some other extreme sports that will be a little bit more dazzling to look at. The races are always my favorite. Um, I thought the underwater camera work was excellent and you could see what was going on really clearly. So I think they've thought it through. The thing that's really different about this is that there was a halftime musical performance. There was basically a rave in the middle of it, which was like pretty, pretty rocking. Yeah. So, um, so that's a new direction. the, The whole thing is kind of a new direction, which I can see why, even though I love the way the traditional look of this channel um has has developed this is just a big zag yeah for the whole operation it is a little different um so if you want to lay your bets now of who is going to win the whole event you can choose from balls of chaos noxious ivy purple rockets 
constrictors, shining swarm, strixes, pinkies, or the blackjacks. I'm not sure. I like the look of the constrictors myself. If there's a purple team, I kind of have to cheer for it. Purple Rockets. Okay. Yeah. Well, your money's on Purple Rockets. You heard it here first. Uh, we will see when the event wraps up who was uh, whose team did better. Yeah, we don't know how many events there will be. We no. don't know what the events will be. This has just been sort of teased on YouTube, and there's, as of taping, been one event. So yeah, we'll see what happens. By, by now, maybe you could check out a couple others. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to our, our review of The French Dispatch. This is the newest movie from Wes Anderson, finally made it to Saskatoon screens, and it is still showing, I believe there's a Boxing Day screening at the Roxy, so you can check it out if you haven't seen this yet. Wes Anderson, known for his very elaborate productions, uh, he wrote this. The story was created by Wes along with Roman Coppola and Hugo Guinness, who have worked with him on some of his other movies as well. The cast is so star-studded. I'm not even going to get into it. It's just like everybody is in this movie. And why not? You know, you want to work with the genius and everybody uh, that he's worked with before, you know, has experience. So he has his, you know, little click of those that repeat and uh, they are great. Basically, the story revolves around a newspaper in France and it's an anthology. There's three different stories of uh, three different writers and they've written these stories. And so then you get to see these stories and they're all really good. I, I really, really enjoyed this. I know I will watch it again and again and I will get new things out of each subsequent viewing, but it's not my favorite. It's actually maybe, dare I say, a little forgettable. It doesn't have the impact that the other movies have. And maybe it's because the focus is pulled in three different directions for three different stories. So you don't really get that like serious character building that you're used to. Yeah, you don't get that great big story arc. Um, you don't go get those like iconic themes running all the way through a two hour movie. Uh, you get a lot of storylines that I think are presented just for the aesthetic opportunity that they provide students protesting in in France in the uh, 1960s and 70s and stuff like that just you just hear that and you think okay here's what Wes Anderson can do with the costumes here's what he can do with the sets here's what he can do with the dialogue I, I do like that he's kind of letting his actors work a little bit more than he has in his last couple films I have a theory that after using puppets in Fantastic Mr. Fox he just the next movie he made after that with people was uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel and you just saw everybody kind of filmed like a puppet delivering lines staring directly into the camera not moving their bodies at all really kind of limiting what an actor can do that works great when there's all kinds of dazzling set pieces and costumes to keep your eyes busy but I like it when he gets these great casts and then just sort of lets them cook a little bit which you definitely get a little more of here. You do. Um, there's a moment in the first story. Uh, it, it's about this artist, Moses Rosenthaler, who is played by Benicio Del Toro, where they do a flashback to him being young and then flash back into the present day. And the way that they do it, I have never seen done before. And it is really remarkable. 
and a really beautiful, poignant moment. Um, and that was one of the highlights of the film for me right there. That's one of those reasons why, even though it's probably not anywhere near my favorite Wes Anderson movie, I know we'll watch it again. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is a really good one. And it's, you know, it's candy. So if you only have time to, for a little bit, you can just watch one of the three. So what is your favorite Wes Anderson movie? Okay, I think we agree on this. Uh, it's a tie uh, between Rushmore and Royal Town Bombs. I think Royal Town and Bob's is better. I've watched it more times, but I have a kindred ship with Max Fisher. Like I really feel Max's angst, and uh, we have a <laughs> we have a lot of like personality quirks that are the same. So I I love it. Brennan, what is your favorite Wes Anderson movie? I'm in the same camp. Rushmore is the first Wes Anderson movie I'd ever seen. Um, instantly found love with it, and then. The Royal Tannenbaums came out, which I also love. Like, they're both great movies. Um, the Royal Tannenbaums is this so much bigger on scope and scale and lush. And, like, to be honest, I think The Royal Tannenbaums is probably a better constructed, created movie. But I like Rushmore because it is smaller, right? The, the stakes are higher, but this cast is smaller. There's um, a smaller story for it to go along. Like, Rushmore could almost be a play. And I think that's why I'm kind of drawn to it, is just that it's smaller scale with big stakes. The Royal Tenenbaum has big stakes, but it also has all these other stakes that are involved with it. So um, I think Rushmore is still my personal favorite. Yeah, Dave? Uh, well, yeah, I, there are times when I could probably agree with the two-way tie between the two movies that you already named. But just, you know, for the sake of not being repetitive, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a little bit of a heel turn and say uh, Moonrise Kingdom. When, when I was listening to you talk about your kindred spirit thing with Max Fisher, um, it sort of reminded me of how I kind of had that with Susie when I watched Moonrise Kingdom. I've never stabbed anybody with a pair of lefty scissors, but there, there, there were, you know, there were moments in that movie where I just felt like that was a character that I, I could really relate to. And when I did the Moonrise Kingdom, like, who are you in the cast, like trivia type, deal I, I am actually a Susie I just I there's something I like about Jared Gilman and Kara Hayward in that movie two kids maybe not a lot of acting experience you always get these star-studded casts I, I thought those two brought something really fresh to the West template and Moonrise Kingdom might be the Wes Anderson movie that makes me feel the happiest mm. Yeah, it's good. I think uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox makes me the happiest. But anyways, they're all, his movies are great. I love watching all of them. Some are better than others and uh, time will tell which uh, lands on top. But this is worth seeing. So like put on your extra layers of coats, hats, mitts, all that stuff and get yourself to a theater to see this because it is well worth it to see it on the big screen because there's lots of really beautiful things to see. All right, let's take a break and throw things over to the boys. And then uh, when we come back, let's talk comics. Hey, everybody. How's it going? This is Craig Silliphant on Punch Radio on CFCR 90.5 FM. And I'm joined, as always, by my good buddy, Hank Cruz. It's Christmas Eve. And have we got a show for you that is not Christmas related at all? How you doing, Hank? It is not Christmas related, but <laughs> it's kind of odd that when I said that we should wear like some kind of Christmas outfit to see each other on Christmas Eve, that you're only wearing a Santa hat and nothing else. It's kind of, uh, I, okay, yeah. 
that's you know that's the magic of radio i don't need to wear pants or a shirt or anything like that i can be completely inappropriate and yeah, not, no nothing knows. i haven't seen before but i just thought for christmas you might add a little something there but all right well don't they call it your christmas suit or no that's your birthday no, suit. that's your birthday suit oh i've Greg, yeah, you're the wrong day judge this whole yeah, I've, I've made a big horrible mistake here speaking uh, of making mistakes craig i made a mistake okay like a few episodes ago on Radio Land and, and everybody was, of course, texting me and telling me that I was wrong. There was a show called Harry Potter Tournament of Houses, okay, that I ripped apart because it was too easy. The contestants didn't know what they were talking about other than the set design. It was like, come on. So I watched the rest and uh, my daughter and I, we watched it together. And as it turns out, um, after the first episode, uh, the questions did get harder and uh, there was many questions that I did not know the answer to and the contestants did. Uh, so I'd like to apologize to uh, Harry Potter and to Dame Helen Mirren for ripping apart the television show. Um, it wasn't bad. Um, and I learned some things about Harry Potter I didn't know. And um, I made a mistake. Okay, I was wrong. There, I said it. It, it happens to all of us. I was uh, wrong. You know, at least sometimes, I assume. I, 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 I jumped the gun a bit. Okay, I'm sorry. And that's why for most things, uh, especially television shows, I tried to watch two episodes and then say if it's good or not. But this one, I jumped the gun. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Fair enough. I, I hope you learned from your lesson. And I see you're making a charitable donation in, uh, what did you say? It was Dame Judy Dench? No, what? Uh, well, uh, Helen Mirren was, Helen was Mirren. close there, but uh, but what I did is I made sure to buy some uh, Harry Potter merchandise for the kids for Christmas. So we're are. good. Okay. Yeah. So the Wizarding World, they're, they're getting their money. Okay. Yeah. So we've got a couple of, I think, TV shows for you this week, and then we're going to talk about uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. But why don't you jump in with your first show there, Hank? You know what? Uh, forget TV shows. How about like a streaming movie? Yes. How about that? That. How about that? that. Because one TV Sp show, one streaming movie, and Spider-Man. There. There. Because my uh, best friend, uh, Sandy Bullock, you know, I call her Sandy because we're we're on uh, that kind of uh, level of friendship here. She was in the, uh, a Netflix thing called The Unforgivable, where she plays a cop killer who gets put out on parole. She has a rough time after hitting the streets. She was locked up for 20 years. Once she gets a job, she goes on a mission to find her sister that she has not seen, she has not talked to for 20 years since she got put into prison. And I'm not going to give a whole bunch of spoilers here because to find out why she's in prison and all that. But as with most American remakes of a solid British production, something gets lost, something gets ruined. Like why ruined? The, it was a British miniseries that was great. Of course, they decide Hollywood needs to make this movie. Um, so uh, too many storylines that are crammed into this two-hour movie without a payoff for any of the storylines and including an abrupt ending that feels like everyone involved in the movie just got, got overwhelmed and stopped. And it's like, oh, that's enough. And um, I, I gave it a 44 out of 100. But Sandra Bullock, Vincent D'Onofrio, Viola Davis, John Berenthal, they're all in here. It should have been so much better. And the, the one thing I will say that really ticked me off was that they make a point of saying she's been in prison for 20 years. Her sister was five when she went to prison. So at this, the whole point of this story is she's having so much trouble finding her sister and they got to go through lawyers and do all that because the, the parents or the people looking after her won't let her see her and all that. She, in theory, is 25 years old. That stuff doesn't pertain anymore. So that whole point of the movie was like, ah, your math is a little wrong here. A little wrong, but unforgivable. A few things they did were unforgivable. So uh, skip it. 
Okay, 44 out of 100. I just saved everybody because on Christmas, they're like, oh, Sandy Bullock. Oh, let's watch this movie. It's going to be like speed. Hey, it's not. It's not. I think I, don't, I have no problem with Sandra Bullock, but I think she's done a lot of things that are unforgivable. Unforgivable, uh, Craig. Yeah. Uh, I uh, have a TV show for you. Now, Ooh. this isn't a new show. It actually uh, was a television series that aired on ABC during the 1974-1975 season, and it's called Kolchak the Night Stalker. It stars Darren McGavin, who uh, was the dad on A Christmas Story, if you're trying to remember who Darren McGavin is. Now, they originally, it was preceded by two TV movies. One was called The Night Stalker in 1972 and, and The Night Strangler in 1973, and they were both uh, popular, so they greenlit this TV show. It's, it uh, features Darren McGavin, as I said, as a wire service reporter named Carl Kolchak, who investigates mysterious crimes with unlikely causes, particularly those involving the supernatural or science fiction, fantastic creatures, that kind of thing. So uh, the reason why I've always wanted to see this actual show and never been able to is because I'm a huge X-Files fan and uh, Kolchak the Night Stalker was like the primary influence on Chris Carter when he created the X-Files. In fact, uh, Darren McGavin plays a character on the X-Files that's supposed to be like the original X-Files cool. guy that opened up the files like 30 years ago or whatever. Uh, so, you know, I've seen the TV movies before, but never the TV series. And they just released this beautiful like Blu-ray set. Everything's, uh, you know, remastered and everything in those episodes uh, with commentaries and all kinds of cool stuff. So uh, it looks great. And, you know, I'm enjoying kind of working my way through them. And they are very much like, kind of x-files episodes you don't really have a lot of the Mulder scully skeptic believer thing that happens for the first few seasons of the x-files because it's just kolchak himself investigating these things but he still runs into a lot of like you know uh skeptics and and whatnot along the way uh as he's how did you like watch Mulder. it I, I bought the blu-ray it's oh, yeah, like a, okay sorry yeah it's a, a new blu-ray set that was just released and and so i i bought it uh, and so it's, it's, it's awesome. It's really good. If you like that kind of thing and you like the X-Files, uh, it's really fun. It's obviously sort of that 1970s, uh, style production, but I would say even there's some stuff in it that's like better than you would expect, uh, in terms of like how, you know, monsters are staged and special effects and stuff like that. So we want to uh, quickly get into, we got about two minutes here, I think, Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, so it picks up where the last one left off, where Peter Parker's uh, secret identity has been blown. Everybody knows he's Spider-Man. It's ruining his life. He goes to Doctor Strange to uh, try and find a way out of it. Can we go back in time? Can we erase people's memories? What can we do? And Doctor Strange has a plan, but Peter kind of screws it up. And we're not going to get into spoilers here, but it's not a spoiler to say that you know, the ramifications of this end up pulling in, uh, you know, bad guys from other film franchises like uh, Alfred Mullen as Doc Ock and uh, uh, Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin and a bunch of those other ones from the Tobey Maguire, uh, Andrew Garfield movies. There's a lot of other surprises in the movies, but we'll in the movie, but we'll leave we'll leave those aside. So uh, I'll go first and then you can say what you want. I'm going to say I think I know what you wrote about it. Uh, I think you liked it better than I did. I definitely had fun at this movie. It was a good time. I think the concept itself is a huge total gimmick. I, I just can't get on board with it. It pulls me right out of the movie. However, I will say that like 
they did go all in on the idea and they do a good job. Like it's a very messy story and you lose a lot of the, the characters and the heart of it, but there are those moments, those emotional beats that poke through. And I think for as messy as it is and how many villains are in it, how much stuff is going on, you know, they actually did a reasonable job of making it make sense for, you know, two and a half hours or whatever. Uh, so I need to see it again and maybe I'll, maybe my estimation of it will go up a little bit. Um, but I was a little bit disappointed. Like, just tell me a good story. I just want to see, thankfully they're making more Spider-Man movies after this so that we can see more of those stories. But, you know, I think they abandoned a lot of what they'd set up in the first two movies. Uh, now you go. I went to see it with, uh, my kids and with, uh, Mike Fisher, the other half of Fisher Cruz. No, Mike posted the review and he gave it a, I think a 92. I would say I'd give it about an 80 or a low 80s somewhere in there. Um, Many of the things that you just said, well, everything you said is true, um, but I found that it was um, because of the amount of action and nonstop just things all over the place, uh, I was entertained. So I enjoyed it and yeah. I had a good time. Uh, the kids had a blast. Uh, like Castle is like sitting on a seat, like trying to like shoot like like a whole bunch of webs out of his wrists. And he's like, dude, but my favorite part of the entire movie is um, because Castle, uh, he hasn't watched a lot of the superhero movies yet, so I'm going to start getting him into that. We watched the entire movie. And then at the end, uh, there's a couple post-credit scenes. Uh, you see Doctor Strange. Basically, it's a trailer for the new Doctor Strange movie, and you're like, oh, okay. And then he's like, Dad, who is Doctor Strange? Right. We just spent two hours watching this whole movie. Who do you think it is? He's <laughs> like, well, they never said that that was Doctor Strange. They called him by his first name. And then right. they said, I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, you're off the hook on that one because I don't think they actually said, hey, Doctor Strange, but... Time to yeah, go back so and watch uh, the original. That made me laugh. So there you go. Yeah, cool. All right, so I mean, we both liked it, but, you know, there's some issues with it. Uh, we are out of time for us. We got to throw back to Jody here. So on behalf of both Hank and I, um, you know, have a Merry Christmas and uh, Happy New Year and everything. We'll, we'll talk to you next week, actually, on New Year's Eve. All right. Thank you, fellas. So, Brennan, you're going to talk about Vampirella the holiday special and also the wrap up of gun honey which i've only read half of so i don't know if you can do this without spoilers but if if you can't that's okay i had ample time to read all four issues and i just have been too busy so that's my own damn fault what's your take on gun honey what's the verdict i really enjoyed it and uh i always do my best not to give spoilers so i think i can tell <laughs> enough to the audience without wrecking anything uh, so gun Honey, uh, it's written by Charles Ardier and art by Anghor Kang. And it follows the life of uh, Joanna Tang, who is known on the street as Gun Honey. And so kind of what her speciality is, she's like, in D&D, she'd be a rogue, right? So she's very stealthy. She can sneak around. And if someone wants someone killed, she'll go in first and plant the gun somewhere that the person can walk in and get and then assassinate the person. So she's not actually assassinating people, but she creates the scenario for the person to go in and do it. And that's how we first introduce her. Um, it has a very cool, like James Bondy spy kind of vibe to it, but also a bit more of that hard knuckled kind of pulp noir, pulp fiction kind of crime aspect to it as well. Um, the art is, is good. Um, it's, I, I like how it's not quite as, um, I shouldn't say the word clean, but if the art was almost more like a J. Scott Campbell, like Danger Girl kind of thing, I think it would take away the impact of it a little bit. The fact that's a little bit more straight line, a little bit more raw, really gives it more of a street edge kind of feel to it, which I really like. Gun Honey, of course, issue one, 
she helps with an assassination and the government brings her in and says, you need to help us now. And issue two and three, she unwittingly kind of begins to help them. But of course, things never go the way they're supposed to. And things just go wrong from there. She helps out a, uh, another criminal sneak a gun into a jail. That person breaks out. Bloodshed ensues. Craziness all around. And then, of course, by the time we get to issue four, things happen. Lots happen. I like the fact it was four issues, surprisingly enough. Um, we're so used to reading like, like six issues and 12 issues. But it was amazing how in four issues, they were able to have a nice compact story with a good pace, but yet every issue we learned a bit more about her backstory, where she came from, who she is, um, we're up until issue four. At the very end, they did say Gun Honey will return, so there are more, more issues coming. Uh, but the nice thing is it just came out last week, so if you're looking for some good like hard-boiled, adult-oriented spy action crime book uh, go check it out it was, it was a really good solid read i'm really impressed with pretty much everything that has come out of that hard case crime uh label they're all good they're all miniseries so it's you know it's not like batman or spider-man where you have to like pick up an arc and then collect it for the rest of your life it's like you know four or six or at the most 12 issues and they are solid they've really been good storyteller good storytelling um, and it does feel like those like drugstore dime pulp novels they remain true to that and there's some great great stuff so if you haven't checked these guys out you can and a lot of it is available in trade paperback too if you missed it so that you can uh join in on the fun so definitely pick some of those out all right vampirella's holiday special what kind right. of tips did she get into so the ho the holiday special is three different stories uh, the first was the fright before christmas with script and art by will robson and the second two were both script and art by Vincenzo Frederici and, oh, sorry, and Vincenzo Caruto. I saw the first name and thought it was the same person, but it wasn't. How many times do you get two Vincenzos in the same book? Um, the second one is called Vampire Bells. The third one is called Slay. And the first story, Vampirilla, is being tracked by some wolfman kind of creature and discovers on Christmas Eve, there is this game where humans are hunting creatures like them. Now she has to get involved and go after the humans that are trying to hunt them. In the second story, she goes to Hong Kong, and of course, there's a kaiju monster that she has to defeat. And in the third story, she comes across Santa Claus fighting a monster, and she helps him out. The third story has no dialogue, which I love. Anytime someone does a silent story, I'm totally in. The art and all these, it's all a bit different. It's all great. The first story has a ton of dialogue, which I, which I love. I love wordy comics. Uh, the second one is a bit more short and sweet. Again, the third one's silent. What I love about all these stories is that they, each artist and writer seems to remember something that a lot of Vampirilla writers seem to forget, that if you give Vampirilla a bit of humor with her attitude, it works so much better. If you think about the original Warren stories, like, yes, it was a horror book, but they're all really campy at first and were kind of silly and kind of funny. So the fact that they're able to blend this sort of horror character with more humorous elements for each story, it works so much better. And I think this is what I've been missing with a lot of the newer Vampirella series. I keep buying them thinking, oh, this one will be better. And like after about eight issues, I'm like, oh no. And I think that's it. Like they try to write her with a bit of attitude, but if you make it a little more zany and make her a bit more fun, it's a way better read. If you think of the Vampirella superpowers, I think it was called, or dark powers, one of the two, I really enjoyed it. And that's why it was like a kind of a fish out of the water story. The art is great. The art in the first story is very glossy and like a good, really high-end Vampirella like a modern Vampirilla book. 
The other two um, are a bit more kind of like straight line classic comic book look, but it's really good. Um, if I, I would say if you've never read Vampirilla, this would be a good place to start. Pick this one up and then with trepidation, read some of the other ones to see how they are. But it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. it, it you know, for the holidays, it really helped bring my spirit back to Vampirilla. So thank you so much, Dynamite, for getting it right for the holidays. Okay, well, that sounds like a really good place for us to leave it on a high, full of Christmas spirit. So hopefully we've given you some uh, options that will inspire you to watch or read. And uh, next week is going to be the last punch of the year as we uh, broadcast on, on New Year's Eve. So be sure to tune in for that. And in the meantime, keep your dudes up.